Ace Podcast. All right, man, this is it. Gotta be hard. No mercy. We're going to like professionals, like Charles Bronson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, you dig? Today's episode, Death Wish. Hey everybody, welcome to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I am your host, Martin, and with me today is Ryan from the Moon is the World. <laughs> the Moon is Dead World.net. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're trying something different today. Yeah. Guess I'm leading leading the way, unfortunately. It was your suggestion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it? It was. Oh, okay. was it? Actually, it was. Alright. Uh, today. We're moving on to a new series of movies. We're going to... It's kind of a new thing that we've been doing as a series of films. Yeah, doing a little bit of everything and and then trying to do, like, sequels and stuff like that. I kind of like that. I like covering kind of the whole... It kind of keeps you in the, the same realm for a while. Like, if you're hopping... You know, let's say we did... You know, if you, you do one of the films and then, like, next year you do another one, it's not the same as if you, like, watch them back to back and do it like that. Yeah, no, I like, uh, because it would suck just to cover Death Wish and then not, like, cover the rest of them. Yeah. Or, it's weird. Or yeah. Like, and then, like, go back to them at a later there's date. Ne- yeah, there's never going to be, like, another time where we were like, let's do Death Wish 3 this time. You know what I mean? It's just, like, a weird decision that you would want to pick, like, the one of the sequels to do randomly. Yeah. But, so it makes sense to do them all at once. Yeah, and, you know. I like it. And, like, when would you ever... I'm just... I'm legitimately asking this because I've never seen it, but when would you ever want to do, like, Death Wish 5 alone? Would uh, you... Is that is that a thing? Like, no. Is it is it good enough where no. you'd be like... No, you're, you're, no, no, you're going to find that once we get through. Is our episode going to be, like, 20 minutes long? Death Wish 5? <laughs> yeah, for Death Wish 5. Like, yep, nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That's just the entire podcast. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Finn. Yeah. Roll credits. We're going to play random clips from the other four <laughs> films or something like that. Well, yeah, we are doing a new series of films, and this time, this is one's, uh, one of my suggestions, because yeah. um, we're both fans of 70s exploitation films and Action, crime. vigilante yeah. films. Mm-hmm. Big thing back then, if you're not, if, you know, if you don't know, um, and one of the big franchises, or at least... When the 70s was around, one of the big films of the 70s to come out of this is Death Wish. Mm-hmm. A, what I would call a Charles Bronson masterpiece. And the funny thing is, like you said, I'm a big fan of like crime and exploitation films from the 70s, but I've never seen it before. Never seen any of the Death Wish films. And that's amazing, because this is one of the biggest ones. This is like one of the easily most well-known. Well, the, the funny thing is that... Is I that... would put it up there, like, it's like probably like after Taxi Driver... This is probably number two, like, most well-known on the well, I'll be vigilante you, film scale. For, like, vigilante slash exploitation films, I wouldn't say that I've seen a lot of the most well-known. Um, and that's partially because I've seen a lot of these films 
because of reviews, for one thing, because I do it for the, for the site. Mm. Um, so, in general, Death Wishes and, and some of the other more popular films, like Taxi Driver, are not going to get some of the boutique, boutique releases. Well, because they're going to come in the criteria. Exactly. Come, well, I don't know about Death Wish, but... <laughs> yeah. You so know. they're not going to get like those boutique releases. So in general, if I hadn't seen them previously, then I probably haven't gone out of my way to see them now. Be not because I don't I'm not interested or anything, uh, but because I don't have the time to do that. Like with you know um, the Dirty Harry films and stuff. I've only seen the first one. Yeah, but the, like you don't need to see the. Yeah, I mean, you do. When the same time you don't, but it's the same thing with Death Wish. Yeah, you. Really, just need to see Death Wish, and then you kind of know what to expect from. And then the you don't really need this. No, you, you don't because I don't because the sequels come in the eighties, as you'll see, and they're mm. very, very eighties. Right. <laughs> well, this cool. was not, not, the original Death Wish was nineteen seventy four, and it's very seventies. Yeah, it's very seventies, which we'll get into probably a little bit later. Uh, but I'll let you lead. <laughs> but today we're covering Death Wish. Yep, said that already. Um, um Star Charles Bronson. And it's one of my, it's one of, I'm not going to say it's like a top 10 film for me, it's one that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's just like one of, like a memorable film. It's one, I, it's one of the first, I, I think it's probably the first uh, like vigilante film I remember seeing as a kid. Because they did, I do remember them used to play like de- on, I can't remember if it was AMC or Spike. It might have been Spike. Could have been Spike. Seems like a Spike Same, style yeah, film. That they would play these movies on and I'd catch them and, you know. I never recall Death Wish being on where I would have seen it. But I, I, like I said, I can't remember exactly where I... Do you, ever, do you remember, like, UPN used to have, like, the film of the day? Or, like, it was, like, Saturday film? I don't remember. I remember UPN only playing, like, Leprechaun. When it like all the leprechaun. Films. No, you know what it was. Like, it wasn't UPN, but it was the other like re- very local station. TBS. No, nope, no. Nope. It was like W. WB. Nope, not WB. But it was it was one. WMHT. No, no, public, no. The no, this is like this is like pre that stuff. Um, I can't remember what exactly it was. It was some W, and it was a local style station, probably out of Schenectady or something like that. I remember them playing movies like this all the time. It was like a Saturday matinee special. I remember them playing Robocop on there. Um, and some, and a lot of the movies like this, like 80s crime, you know, 70s exploitation. So I They probably, play UHF a lot. I remember, uh, I remember why. I think this was pre-UHF. Like. No, because UHF came out in the 80s. You know the Weird Al movie? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, yeah, it wouldn't have been pre, but. I don't. No, I don't think they played it. Cause there's a uh, like a I'm thinking of like a low channel. Cause UPN was channel four. And yeah. I remember that. I actually think it was like channel eleven, like a weird. <sighs> yeah, that's WB. It wasn't at that. I don't think it was I at think that time. I, uh, well, no. I don't know. No, it doesn't no, really that... matter because anybody listening wouldn't have probably had it. Unless, <laughs> unless, unless they grew up in our area. Yeah, like, right, and remember yeah. their time. And they Warner. remember they're like they're, eleven. Yeah, they're yeah, ti- yeah. No, I know where that. I remember that their one. Time Warner. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it... It doesn't really matter, but I'm just saying... If they had played Death Wish, I would imagine on that channel. But It's not going to be on Turner Classic Movies, no, that's for sure. No, that's, that's, that's totally... Even um, though they would probably play something like Dirty Harry on... They have. Yeah. Well, TCM's cutoffs like the early 70s. Mm. I think like the latest film I've ever seen them play is like Chinatown. Mm. And that's like once or twice. Yeah. You know what 
They're not a big fan of the more current fair. Well, I mean, the whole point of TCM is... Classic. Yeah. But this point's, you know, 80s is classic now. Yeah. Yeah, we're working now... Death Wish 1974 is like 40 years old. Yeah. More than 40. Yeah. 43 I get upset when I listen to like the classic rock station. I hear like fucking smells like Teen Spirit come on. I'm like, oh, where'd the fucking years go? Classic. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Grunge is now considered classic rock. Yeah. My God. What a world we live in. Yeah. But yeah, so before we talk about the movie itself in a nice little in-depth conversation, and I'd like to see what, you know, Ryan's general thoughts on the film are, uh, we're talking about the beer we have today. Actually, before we do that, though, I'm cutting in. I, I don't want to take over. I don't want to, like, oh. I don't want to, like, latch on to your, your starring role here or anything. Oh. Just more experienced at it. Yeah. No, but I, I just wanted to bring up the opening because that's going to be a little different for people who didn't listen to our last episode about <laughs> Charles Bronson or who don't know the band Charles Bronson. So that opening, that crust punk slash power violence ballad is actually... A uh, ballad. Yeah. Ballad. I, th- I think that that's a very loose use <laughs> of the word ballad. Yeah. A ballad is usually a, a song story that goes like for fucking five plus minutes, not 20 seconds. God damn. That is true. But uh, yeah, that first, that opening is uh, from a band called Charles Bronson. And uh, it's very topical because Charles Bronson also stars in Death Wish. Uh, but I wanted to include it because I do like Charles Bronson a lot. Um, very uh, big fan of their work along with a lot of their peers like Spaz and... Uh, some of the other crust punk bands from the 90s um, and, and actually early 2000s as well. Um, so I wanted to include it. It's a fun little thing, hopefully, and, and it's kind of a look into like what I listen to on a daily basis. Um, hopefully anybody out there who's listening, you know, we <laughs> Martin likes to make wrestling references that I don't even know anything about because I don't watch wrestling. So here's one of my references that he doesn't really know. I mean, I like about. punk, but I mean, yeah. and I liked... The 20 seconds of a song that it is, but, That's I mean, right. but I mean, I wouldn't, like, sit down and think to... You wouldn't want to listen to, like, 16 of those? No, because... <laughs> back to back to back to back. Because then it's just a medley, then. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a song. I mean, if I was, like, kickboxing, like, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it does help with, like, running and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than that, no, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd stick to more, like, bad religion. Yeah. That's more it's melodic and... I love... Yeah, well, I love it. has some hook to it. And harmonies. They're punk. Uh, Bad Religion is a punk band with harmonies. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Thank them. Thank them. That's right. All right. You, <laughs> now on to you. You can do whatever you want with the, the rest of the show. I just wanted to bring that up so we didn't ha- leave it hanging. Have people like, what the fuck was that in the beginning? So. You gotta look it up. Look well, it up. That's true. Yeah. And educate do some yourself. research. You're yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Use the Google. <laughs> Use the Googles. <laughs> you don't have to, you know, use encyclopedias. Those fucking God, being a little off topic here, but just thinking about being in college when you're in college, like God, what a been, great time! To, yeah, yeah would have been cool, horrible. Yeah, if we had to be there when it was like Microsoft ninety five for like with word processor, and then fucking you having to go actually always go to the library, not just like sometimes yeah. you know use your laptop and look up online sources, but actually have no oh God, no, that'd be fucking terrible. Yep. Do the encyclopedia thing. Um, people come to your door and sell you encyclopedias. I remember we had that happen once, and we actually bought them, like children's encyclopedias. 
So yeah, don't know when they're gonna come in handy. That was a yeah, that was a thing. I don't know how much I use them, but I remember. I think we had like a encyclopedia set that was like a relatives. I just remember looking at them as a kid and be like, "Whoa!" But like, yeah, no, I can't can't imagine having fucking twenty eight different books. Yeah, <laughs> they're like five hundred yeah. pages each. Yeah, I mean, not only is it, and it's just uh, general reference too. Yeah. It's not like it's not only is it annoying to have to go look at the encyclopedia, but the room space they take up an entire, like pretty much like an entire bookshelf because well, you're like fucking. Yeah, but look how think like think of, if you have that though. Think like when people come like, wow, what a learned man this is. Yeah, that's or, right. Or how smart he is. Well, these were children's encyclopedias, <laughs> so they were thinking that seven-year-old must be a genius. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember having those, and nah, like I said, I actually probably, like tried to set out to read them. Like, like I'm going to start with the A's and read through oh that would be that would totally no that would totally be me i'd have yeah, to go, I, know. I would have to yeah. go in fucking alphabetical order i wouldn't be like, i'm not like start at l and then move to w that yeah. no that would kill me do you think death wish was in there in the Sh- children's encyclopedia should be <laughs> it should be they should have children's encyclopedias written by charles bronson <laughs> yeah that's right how to grow a proper mustache he can't tell you how to wear a, <laughs> how to wear a speedo, right? Uh, yeah, well, he can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Well, anywho, moving on to our beer of choice for today, yep. and, and it's new. We have two new ones actually. That's right. Yeah, um, both are by Sierra Nevada, mm-hmm. Paul Rudd's favorite beer company. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, just, we're speaking for Paul on this. Yeah, one. We're, yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully that's his favorite. Well, I'm he's assuming it, it would suck if he at every movie he's in drinking a pale ale from that. Maybe, and maybe he, and he instead, hates he's, instead yeah. he's like, oh, I, I would yeah. just want to push my Maybe that's like Judd Apatow's favorite beer. <laughs> he's just because I can think of like every time I've seen Paul Rudd drinking like a beer, it's in a Judd Apatow movie or or like a Judd Apatow produced movie. So maybe that's Judd's favorite beer. And he's like, Paul, you're drinking this. I was like, I don't really... You know, Sierra Nevada is, is hoppy. I'm not really a big fan. I want a bush, like, no, Paul, you're drinking this. I want a Bush Bavarian. <laughs> It'd be kind of disappointing. I, maybe that's how Judd pays him. He pays his actors in beer. Like, oh, I, feel, oh. I feel like I would be disappointed if I found out that Paul Rudd isn't really a fan of Sierra Nevada. Because I, I feel like, like a close to him. Yeah. Yeah, I like feel we have, close some, we have to something in common. Like... Though, Sierra, like, as we discuss these two beers, Sierra Nevada is kind of getting on my shit list now of, like, beer makers. Yeah, take it away, whatever, you know. So, Ryan was telling me about how he bought Sierra Nevada's new four-way IPA pack. Usually, every year, the, usually in between winter and spring, they'll come out with a four-way IPA pack. It'll just be a random pack of four different IPAs. It'll always include the Torpedo IPA. Yeah, that's kind of their thing. Um, Sometimes they have, like, the Ruthless Rye. Man, I do, that, that, I do love that. That is a good one. But uh, but the, but this year um, they crammed in there their torpedo, a peach IPA, which we'll discuss, a yep. black IPA, and I don't remember the third one. I mean the fourth one. The golden. Oh, the golden's in there. The golden. Uh, no, I'm I'm sorry. The it's like a um, like a wheat IPA, like a oh. Bavarian was it? I don't remember. I didn't, yeah. I didn't pay attention. It was to something it. like that, which we haven't actually gotten to because we only tried one of those in the pack. Which we've had the torpedo yeah. before, so that doesn't really count. But but the other three, I but I feel like it was something like that. It was like a like a Bavarian IPA or something like that, like a little bit different from what they normally do. Well, 
But anywho, you got that pack. So today, when I was looking for a beer to get to, I was thinking about getting their 12-pack of their Golden IPA, because that's their Beer Camp IPA that's out. Yeah, and, uh, 2017 Beer Camp that they normally do like in the spring months. They just release like, a, like, hey, this is something we made at Beer Camp, and here you go. Yep. And so I thought about getting it, but then I saw at the very last moment before I was like about to like check out that they, the store that I was at had a 12-pack of Sierra Nevada's Sidecar Orange Pale Ale. And I love oranges, and I love pale ales. Yep. So the idea of combining the citrusiness of a orange and the pale ale of Sierra Nevada sounds great because we've we've talked about on here already. We've talked about uh, New Belgium's Citradelic IPA pale ale, which we like, which is a tangerine IPA. Yep. And then Saranac, which we talked about as well, has a Clementine pale ale, mm-hmm. and we like that a lot too. too. There's not really much difference between tangerines, clementines, and oranges. The difference is just yeah. certain levels of sweetness and the size of the damn things. Yeah. Um, I'm no botanist, but... Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> in terms of, like, actually eating them, yeah, tangerines have a distinct, like, taste to them. But, but like, in terms of adding them to a beer, really, the it's just the citrus level of it. Yeah. To I be mean, honest with you, if, really I tr- a... if I tried them all, I'd be like... Okay, maybe one's a little bit... Yeah. Tangerines are, like, more bitter. Clementines are smaller. A little bit sweeter. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, like, clementines, I just like clementines because they're sweet and juicy and ju- and easy to peel. Yeah. And, and no seeds. That's the main draw of a clementine. But <laughs> taste difference? Sm- slight. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, just the idea of an orange pale ale sounds great. Because mm-hmm. I do love Sierra Nevada's pale ale, though I do think... Cons- Compared to a lot of the pale ales, it is on the hoppier side, but that's your shtick. Yeah. So I got it, and as we're watching Death Wish, we first started off with the orange sidecar pale ale, mm-hmm. and it is bland. Yeah, I mean, this is a great disappointment, at least to me. I lo- I've never heard of the sidecar before. I don't. It doesn't really seem like that's specifically a new thing to see here in Nevada. Um, it's a new thing for us because I've never really seen it around before. Neither have I. And I, and I made sure when I bought it too. They had printed on the side of the thing that it was bottled in December. Yeah. So it's good for, for so now. It, yeah, so it's new. So I was like making sure, okay, this wasn't something random that they had like, you know, stored, you know. Yeah. Like, oh shit, we've had this for like for four years. Let's, yeah. Let's move it out front and hope some dumbass like me thinks like, hey, look, a new beer. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest disappointment with this orange pale ale is that it tastes very similar to Sierra Nevada's regular pale ale, which, as we said, we've said before, is basically an IPA. It's very hoppy, uh, very heavy hop presence, um, and I think in this case, the hop presence overpowers the orange. And now that I'm drinking a little bit more, I do notice the orange a bit more because it's more like a, it's a bitter orange, mm-hmm. and I think. It's, you don't get like an orange, you get barely an orange sweetness at the end, but you get like that bit, like a bitter orangeness mixed with the hops, but just so it doesn't really like, I don't think it works. You're getting the hot bitterness and then like the bitterness from like an orange. I think that's, and I think, and I think it's just weird. Like you'd expect like a hoppiness and then like kind of a sweetness that you would get from like an orange. Like imagine if you were like drank an IPA and then like kind of sucked on like a orange uh, popsicle yeah. to like balance it out. I think that's kind of where the clementine and the tangerine 
work a little bit more than just a like a generic orange flavor is because they are a bit sweeter and you have the dynamic going on of like oh i can really taste the sweetness of the clementine or the tangerine in contrast to like the hoppy bitterness in this orange it's got pale, a, both those both of them fat uh new belgium's and saranac has a great balance between yeah, the two like yeah. they pa- they pair the the fruit and the pale ale perfectly i and this i think it's yeah, there's not really like a contrast. I, I mean, I I will agree with you. I on the on the really opening like moments of when it's on your palate, I do taste some of the orange. Um, it's it's very subtle, and no one no one would complain about Sierra Nevada like use overly using fruit in their in their beer. No. Like there's not, and IPAs in general are somewhat citrusy but in this case it's it's so under you know it's not really even noticeable that this is very you know a different type of citrus than a regular yeah paleo and it's not to say it's a bad beer no because it's not yeah because again their pale ale is a very good pale ale mm-hmm. um but what you expect it, it's a b- definitely a disappointment yeah and We'll just say that you really have to go looking for that orange flavor. If you're drinking it quickly and you're not really, I don't know. You're and we drink really... and we drink it cold, and we drink it like at, you know warmed up a bit and chilled, and it's you still can't. Like... I actually think it's a little bit better warmed up a little bit because you can. You, I think it comes out. It's a little bit more pronounced with the orange flavor than it's when st- it was still colder. You're still looking. Yeah, I have to look you're for just, it. I really do have to look for it. I think it's. I think it's the combination of like there's a lot of hoppy flavors in their pale ale in particular anyway. And it's just getting lost in there. And I mean, it's, it's the same thing of the next beer that we're going to talk about, which is their peach IPA, which is included in the four way IPA pack. Um, and we kind of wanted it to like do just two because it's hard to talk about multiples, especially IPAs in like one session yeah because by the third one your, yeah. pa- your pal's gonna give up it's like yeah. it's an ipa yeah i um you know can't really discern that much different because it's it's an ipa hoppy piney I, um i think the big thing with the peach ipa um is that i as an ipa there's not a huge amount of difference between this and the pale ale except for there it may be even a little bit less bitter than the pale ale itself i don't think it's that bitter at all no and and I'm di- and this this again this is where I'm like becoming really disappointed too because I out of the four in that pack that you had I really wanted to try the peach IPA because mm. I think it could be a very interesting and a very good mix and, and it's not it's and you the the peach IPA more so than the sidecar the peach IPA you get absolutely to like no peach taste whatsoever I, it's so faint so subtle. It's just ridiculous. Like, like maybe I have a deaf palate and I just can't hear the peach ringing out. Yeah. But it, 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 I don't. And it's, again, it's like drinking, like, a slightly watered-down version of their pale ale because it's not as hoppy as this yeah. sidecar pale ale and their normal pale ale. And so to have the peach nut be pronounced and you get a really crisp, sweet peachness from it, peach taste to it, it's totally, it's just not, it's not good. 
I mean, I think that probably what's happening in this beer is that the peach sweetness is undercutting the hoppy bitterness of the IPA. So you're actually, you're not tasting the peach, but you're getting the effects of what the peach is doing within the beer itself. As in that now even the IPA is muted. But at the same time, if you're if they're gonna do that, I would rather there be a, a prominent peach flavor. You'd think their brewers would be tasting it, and uh, again, maybe they got. I, I mean, sure, they probably got more sophisticated palates than me, but and and you too. But I mean, one would think because, but, but yeah, uh, but you know, it's their living to like discern through you know. But at the same time, it's like if, if I I just don't I don't get it. I don't and. This is where, like, Sierra Nevada is becoming on my shit list, because it's like, they're just, they're doing what Sam Adams does. They're taking the same fucking thing and repackaging it with something slightly different to kind of barely change the formula, and, like, calling it, hey, it's new, it's seasonal, instead of, you know, actually doing new things or just sticking to what they do best. Yeah, I mean, with Peach, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Peach, I, I, like it well enough i'll drink it um you know i i I will eat peaches occasionally um but i i'm i would say that i'm a pretty good discerner of peach flavor because of that it's very distinct though yeah it's not like it's not like peach isn't a distinct it's true yeah it's a very distinct sweetness and i think i gotta say that i i tried really hard to get the peach flavor in this (laughs) bless you I, um, bless you. Thank you. You're a two sneezer like me. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you're not, go to hell. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I tried really hard to get the peach flavor. You were wafting it. Like, yeah. It was I was like, 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 like it was scotch. You yeah. were sitting there like. And not only that, but what I also did was, um, like I, I tried to, I don't know. I just tried to like sit there and leave it on the palate and see if maybe anything else would come through. And at times I got the faintest hint of like, wait, was that peach flavor? But when you have to question whether it was peach flavor or just like the citruses of the hop itself, I just feel like they really missed out on adding peach flavor to, to this. It's bare. They call it a fruit and hop ale. It's barely fruity. It's, it's barely fruity. It's not a pale. It's not an IPA. It's pale ale. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really hard. I mean, I see, I saw, cause we use untapped and we check in with untapped to a lot of beers. I saw a lot of people who were saying, you know, this is a good beer, but it's not particularly peachy. It's just like a normal IPA. Yeah. It's a, maybe standard, like a, not quite a session IPA, but it's not quite an IPA. It's like in between there cuz again it's not as like yeah. bitter and it's like it's more sessionable than an IPA but it's not like it like a true session IPA where it's a light version of an IPA you still get the hops but at the same time you can like yeah this is great this is easy it's going down yeah. now um so it's a disappointment i mean i encourage i i would encourage people to go out and try both these packs and and to see if you you know if it appeals to you and try it and see you know if like hey, if maybe you're getting something that we're not, yeah, um, it's not going to discourage me from buying Sierra Nevada, um, but at the same time, it's like, like you're on the list now. Yeah, you're on my watch list. Is like Sam Adams and Guinness for like doing stupid shit. Well, that's the thing too is that they have the new Golden IPA out too, and I don't really know what could be 
the difference? Like what, what's going to distinguish that one? And I'm hoping that the other two that are in this pack at least are prominent and I feel like different. the I feel like the black IPA is just gonna be like a very bland black IPA. Could be. I feel like it's just gonna be like, oh yeah, it's yeah, that's and I don't like black IPAs that much to begin with. Mm. I don't I don't think as a style it's I don't think it's a good style. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. I I don't think combining like a dark malt to an IPA to try to give it like a more of a porter, yeah, I, I it just doesn't work. Hmm. Nowhere near as like a white IPA is genius. Yeah, which I think the sidecar pale ale is. That's what it should be shooting for, like a white IPA, but it's not quite as hoppy as a IPA, so it's more of a pale ale. Because it's that's essentially what it is. Because a white IPA is a IPA with you know orange citrus peel and. You know, and weed ale elements too. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, well, what do I know? I'm not a brewmaster. That's true. That's I'm, true. We're I'm not. Be- I'm just somebody who likes to drink. That's right. And you too. You too. Yeah. And to, <laughs> you know, to sum up, I think we're both a little disappointed with both of these beers. Yeah. They could be a little bit better. So, Deathwish. Yeah. Deathwish. Let's talk about it. What'd you think? Did start off with that, huh? Yeah. Pointed conversation about it. Um, I thought that it was pretty good. Um, coming from a standpoint of seeing like quite a few exploitation and black exploitation films, um, watching this now, I don't think it's probably the best one that I've seen. Probably doesn't rank in the top of those ca- that category really. Um, I think it's. I think it's a, a a good film. I think it's fun to watch, which in, in I'll, I'll say fun to watch most of the time. Um, one of my biggest complaints with it, though, is probably uh, it, it's relatively slow pacing. It's it's um it's kind of interesting how the story progresses because it almost feels like nothing is happening for a lot of the movie. Uh, or, or, um, not that it's, yeah, not that it's not happening, but that there's really not much of a story to it. It's more so like, there's no, okay. So one would think from, from the opening of the film with the rape of, uh, you know, uh, Charles Bronson, um, Paul Kersey's daughter that in, in the death of his wife, that um, he would be out for revenge on the three people who did it, on the on the three uh, criminals who broke into his house and then ended the, that act. But through, and that's kind of what I felt was Death Wish's main plot was that he he actually you know he he started as a vigilante, but he really wanted to get revenge on those people that did that to his family. Uh, but as Death Wish progresses, there's not really so much. Um, the act of vengeance against those three people as there is a kind of stereotyping of what criminals are and like crime within New York city. And so there's not much of a, like a, a, what you would call a strict plot in the sense that there's like, uh, Kersey goes from this to this, to this. It's, it's more so like a fluid motion. And it's, uh, good that you kind of summed it up like that. Cause for those of you who don't know, 
Death Wish is a film that's essentially about Charles Bronson's character, Paul Kersey, who is just your typical run-of-the-mill blue-collar architect who lives in New York City in the 70s. And in case you didn't know, New York City in the 70s was quite the shithole. As many 70s films like to point out, um, that's plagued with crime and violence. And then one day, for no reason whatsoever, because these kids just wanted to have a good time and beat the living hell out of people, came to his house when he wasn't there and beat and killed his wife and uh, beat and raped his daughter. And now he's trying to cope with it. And then it goes from his coping to dealing with the problem at hand in the city with mugging. And that's it. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's a very it's a very loose plot, but I think it works well because it's I think for him to specifically try to target these the three thugs that came in and beat and killed his wife and raped his daughter. I mean, I don't I don't think you necessarily need that for this the plot to overall work because it becomes he's cuz before that even happens to his family, him and his coworkers are talking about the crime and in New York City and how it's terrible and all the muggings and how it's awful and he just came back from vacation Hawaii with his wife and like oh that must have been so much better than this shithole and so when that's happened he's seeing that happen and <clears throat> it's happening all around then it happens to him it doesn't necessarily ha- for me he doesn't have to go out and then try to act vengeance it's not necess- it's not vengeance that's fueling his vigilantism it's he sees that this the crime in the city is terrible. The police aren't doing anything about it. So he's taking it into his own hands. Because he suffered it firsthand. Yeah. So it's slight vengeance in the fact that he's experienced it. So he's, you know, he's doling out death wishes to those who are thugs. But at the same time, it's more the whole idea of... Just vigilantism in general that he, you know, he wants to clean up the mess that the cops can't clean up. Yeah. Cops can't just go and shoot, you know, suspected muggers and criminals. That's just not how our justice system works, nor should it be how it works. But a lot of people think it should. Yeah. I mean, I agree that, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need him to go out and get vengeance on the three people that did that to his family. But at the same time, one would kind of almost expect that he would be looking for it. As but he doesn't in, know. But again, right? The, yeah, he doesn't know who it was. No, that's true. And they may, and they point that out clearly when he because he goes to the police station several times and yeah. asks like, "Do you have any information?" They're like, "The cops are like, we ain't gonna lie to you. We don't know anything. Yeah, and the chances of us ever catching them slim to none." But I think like the the big thing that bothered me not I mean it doesn't really bother me, but it just that there's like a very it's a very languid plot is that I would you know even though. He is out to like solve the crime problem as a vigilante, and and basically he's taking care of the trash on the streets that could have been those people that murdered his wife and raped his daughter. Um, there's not really much of a focus on that aspect of it 
being like this happened to him and his family after that opening act. Like there's no real once once like his wife is dead, which is the news is delivered to him in probably the worst way possible. <laughs> Uh, as in, like, the most side from the most, a doctor. The most tone-deaf doctor. Like, yeah. Co- coming off of, like, four straight shifts of working. And, like... Yeah. Hey, um... When Paul's, uh... When Charles Bronson's son-in-law is asking how his... Cause how his wife's doing. And they say, oh, she's fine. She, she'll live. And then Charles Bronson's like, oh, and Paul Kersey, how's my wife doing? He's like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. And that's it. It's kind of, Yeah, it's, it's like, like in a side that... It, is re- really unsettling because he just kind of drops it. Drops it to bomb. Not not like well, you know, let me come into my office. I'll you know, let's speak in private. Well, to no, be fair, none of that. To be fair, it's, it's the seventies. It's like it's true. Hey man, your wife's dead. You're a bachelor. Yeah, congratulations. You get, your wife's dead. You get to go pound some new mounds. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know. But yeah, so that I mean, that's 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 surprising. But um, I just. It's, it's not really brought up post death slash once the his daughter's committed to the uh, the nuns mental hospital. Uh, that's no, it. No, 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 no. Sanatorium. Sanatorium. When that word yeah. was still being used before yeah. Geraldo Rivera went and destroyed, you know. Yeah. If yeah. you if you remember that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sanitarium. I I I I actually love that they use that. It's like oh they're sending her to where they they house her. Ter- Tuberculosis patients. I mean, I like. <laughs> I well, I mean, I don't like, but I think it's funny that this to solve this problem. This clearly, uh, so the psychosis that his daughter is going through is to send her off to a nunnery and forget about her. It's out of sight, out of mind. No, no big deal. Let's just send her off. Oh, I'll give the film credit for even tackling that, though. Yeah, a little it, bit. A little just bit. because at the time, I mean... Yeah. That, no, not even just a little bit. Again, like, you gotta think in the context of the time period. Yeah, I, Five years ago, you had fucking the Night of the Living Dead and Barbara, after her brother turns into... Oh, no. She's just a woman in comatose. She's, her frail mind can't handle what's going on. Catatonic, you know? yeah. You know, she's catatonic now. Goodbye. No, I know. It's, 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 it's the Ben show now. Where this, they're actually trying to actually explain it. They're at, like, like why is she, at, you know, she's sleeping and she's acting weird. Like, and they're like, they're actually trying to explain. Like, she's going to see doctors. They're saying, like, she doesn't know how to handle it. Like, because it's a traumatic, ex- she's traumatized. So she's catatonic. She's going through all these things. And, but, so I, I, I'll get, I'll give yeah. the film credit because it's actually, you know, trying to tack, like, tackle, like, hey, getting raped. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, I'll be over that. Because I joked with you. When, like, before they, like, send her to the doctors and stuff, she's lying in bed and she's, like, she's traumatized. She wakes up in her sleep, like, you know, shouting. I was like, yeah, it's the 70s. I'm not surprised her husband's like, hey, I know you just got raped, like, a week ago, but when are we going to get back, to, you know, to me, the, you know. Yeah. I think yeah, I you refer to it as Pound Town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be, like. Make light of the situation. Be, like, offensive, obviously. but. But at the same time, I can totally, it you know... be unexpected at that No, time. it wouldn't wouldn't be at all. Be like, oh, you'll get over it. Yeah. So some other guy grabbed your boob. I do that all the time. I mean, come on, let's... Well, so when can I do that again? Yeah. So it, I, I'll give the film credit for actually you know, tackling... Well, I do give it credit. I, I'll give it credit for at least bringing up those things. Like, 
you know, catatonia, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, things like that. But at the same time, this is the equivalent of having a character who you don't want to deal with, so you just put him away and, yeah, <laughs> and then not dealing with him ever again. But at the same time, what would you do with her? Like, if, if, she, yeah. if, if she's not catatonic from all this, what are you doing? Like, like I don't expect, because again, it's a vigilante exploitation. I don't expect her to be like, well, I've gotten over it, and Dad, why don't you give o- get over it? Because, you know... Well, I don't. It's not going to be subversive like at I don't that think level. That, I don't think that the film uses that as an inciting uh, motivation, motivation no. for him as much as it should, as, as much as it really should use it. it no, you're right. I, yeah, I, they don't. I think that's probably one of my. He blames issues. he yeah. he blames his son-in-law. Yeah, for like after like he she's still not getting better from seeing the doctors, and he's like, "You're not trying hard enough." Yeah, and I'm just saying, like as a, it's. It is and it isn't, but it's not a vengeance film per se, but it it is in in some scenarios. Uh, but I just think that probably they, they could have done it a little bit better within that scope, especially spending that much time on it at the beginning of the film. But at the same time, I totally get where you're coming from and where the film is coming from is that his motivation really is not to find those people that did this to his family, but just to make sure that it doesn't happen to other people. That it doesn't... You know, he can, and it's cathartic to yeah, him. He has the ability to make sure that that doesn't happen to other people on subways or in the city getting mugged. In the streets. Uh, yeah, on the streets. So, um, I, in that sense, yeah. It, I mean, that is really the motivation for his character. And I, I'm, I'm being a little unfair because there is a plot to this film. And it certainly does take a lot of inspiration from things like westerns spaghetti westerns there's even a whole scene where he watches a western play out in tucson arizona which 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 is great too because it's um this film is coming out right when westerns are yeah right when they're almost dead they're like right on their deathbed yeah especially even even like i mean spaghetti westerns still maybe a little bit but not not a whole lot like in this like late 60s not not so much Mm -hmm. anymore so this is like taking inspiration from those and then like transferring it to the cities because westerns are very rural and now we're we're adding a cityscape to this to the modern western and as you said when we went when we go to tucson which by by god just looking at 70s tucson arizona it looks it looks like it's the any it's not a city it's just the podunk boonies yeah as you said and in the background, shooting your newest spaghetti western. Yeah. Because it literally looks like, you know, you can see a horse clopping in the background. A, and... a man drives a goddamn station wagon with two horns on it. On its trunk. Or, I mean, on its on it, the hood of the car. And on the top of the car. Yeah. There's two sets of horns on it. It's, it's so cheesy, it's great. It, it, yeah, it is. I think that they're kind of making fun of Arizona <laughs> a little bit at least but um i don't know it's it's a funny it's a funny thing but it definitely does make sense within the the film's world because that part of the film is really him seeing how kind of the other half lives like he lives in a sort of peaceful bubble even though he lives in one of the most violent cities in America at the time he lives in a peaceful bubble he doesn't do anything about it and he realizes that the cops aren't, don't really do anything about it, too. And actually, one, one scene where, after, right after his wife's funeral, he asks the cop uh, how they're coming with the case. And the cop basically says, you know, that's just how it is in New York City. So it's pretty much 
from a from a uh, well, be, police be, officer's standpoint, it's pretty much normal. Well, but if you it th- happens, well, yeah, but if you think about again in the seventies too, just like the level of technology too. True. If somebody randomly breaks into like your house, yeah. rapes and beats your wife, kills them, and then like your daughter who's left like comatose, do- can't give any description on like who the people are, you're boned. Yeah, you're, you're, there's not and no, and there's no other witnesses. No, you're boned. Right. Yeah. It, so I mean, I'm not giving the cops and the you know too much shit on this one because it's like, look, there's like there's not like they're. I mean, they can like do some fingerprint, but again, like the it's not like. It's not like today, where you got so much more technology to like, oh, we could see when the last semen sample was, you know, dropped here. And I think that um, Death Wish, though, does, it is kind of an indictment of police, in that they, not not so much in this case, because yeah, you're right, they don't really have that much to go on, except that somebody likes to graffiti a lot. They know this of means. any random graffitiers, but, but um, in other cases, they are very... Re, you know they're reluctant to step into any crime cases. You don't see any cops on the street in at night on the most you know the known streets that are crime and gang filled. There's I, I just think that Death Wish does attempt to hold you know them police accountable for some of the, the crime that goes on in 1970s New York City. Although, at the same time, Death Wish is like a hyper-exaggerated version of New York City. Like, I'd, li- I'd like to think it is. I would like to think so. Obviously, I, I don't know, was not I, born I, in the 70s. I didn't live... I didn't and don't live in New York City. Been in New York City. Definitely know that it's a lot cleaner, not so dingy, a lot less crime-filled than it used to be, especially from first-hand accounts of it. But yeah, at in the 1970s, I don't really know exactly what it was like. I know again, I, I from what I've like heard from just like other media news sources, like you know, uh, just what a hellhole it used to. It be. was like, a shitty place. But, yeah. but at the same time, like I, I don't. Then again, like as I've told you before, as I've told you before, other like some of our friends, like even if it was like the shittiest place, I still wouldn't be scared to like walk around because I'm not gonna live my life in fear of like some guy. Someone's gonna mug me for money. Here, I got. No, here's my money. Take it. Go. Have a nice day. Well, I think the reason I say hyper-exaggerated in this film is because Charles Bronson, even before he adopts his vigilanteism, uh, is, like, mugged, like, twice in two nights by a guy. And they... And that and like I said, it's not he's not even looking for the trouble at this point. This is just him walking down the street kind and of, getting mugged. And just kinda of looking to see what yeah, you know, what's what's going on. And I mean that that just seems exaggerated. It seems exaggerated that you can't go to the grocery store and buy two dollars worth of groceries without getting on the subway and being mugged by attackers who are thinking you're fucking rich because you were able to buy a couple bags of p- pasta and <sighs> Well, as I told you, that does make sense because everybody in this film is fucking anemic. Yeah, yeah, they're all they all you know their food pyramid diet. If according to this film, is nothing but heroin. Yeah, it's <laughs> just smack. Which, yeah, no, we'll talk when we get to the actors. We'll talk about it, but yeah, no. So all, all and as I was telling you, and I made you watch a clip of uh, the great eighties comedy Hollywood Shuffle. Mm-hmm. And the bit about black acting school, because man, ain't that ever true in this film? Exactly. All just about 
most of the about seventy percent of the muggers are black in this, and they're all acting like you're what you'd stereotypically expect from a seventies film. We're like jive turkey, motherfucker, give me your you know, give me your money. Yeah, and it's 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 almost like we because we've covered. Did we have we covered any black exploitation? No. We haven't. No, but it's it is. We came close. Almost like the opposite of a of a black exploitation film in that you again uh, in the, that's this is not very unusual. But you have primarily white cast, and there's a lot of black muggers. Whereas in black exploitation, a lot of the villains in those films are white people, law who are yeah either police officers or very high up in government official ranks um which is probably even more so true than what you get in a film like death wish which does project some of its conservative leanings onto the film itself well as i, as I told you this is like as i said it's been 40 plus years since this film came out it's still like a perfect critique on of society today and, I, I today just because i think when we you say critique though death wish isn't Particularly critique. No, it's society. no, it's not. But it, I, but yeah. from it, like a, if you're looking at it at a more intellectual view, you could say like how like you know it's a representation of society. Yeah, of yeah. just the things like again like in this film you have people you know muggers out of control in the city. How does Paul Kersey deal with this? He takes matters into his own hands and shoots them. Yeah. What would most people today recommend? Yeah. When, with the things going on today, with like, somebody got, with like, getting slightly political here, with what happened in Florida the other day, the shooting at the airport. What's some people's answer to that? We need guns at the airport. Yeah. No. No, no. A normal citizen, if they saw that happen and they had a gun, it could have been easily stopped if they had just shot no. that guy. No, no, I don't want... I don't care how good of, I don't care if I knew you were a great shot. I know you're not. But if I if you had a gun, like a licensed pistol permit to carry a gun, I knew you're a good shot. And there like if I was at the airport, I'd still say no, you don't need a fucking gun there. Yeah. I don't need you to be the one to go fucking Rambo. And like I saved the day. Yeah. I sh- I shot that guy. It's, and, I, and it's I it's 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 it's, it's idiotic. You can see the semblance of that in Death Wish, and it's the same. It's the same thing in Death Wish because yeah. the whole idea behind Death Wish is well, there's a vigilante killer, and the cops are trying to catch him because they have to because he's a killer. They yeah. have to catch him. That's the the cops are kind of begrudgingly tracking him down because they don't really want to. Like, hey, crime's kind of going down after this guy. But at the same time, you do have that faction of the police force who are like, no, we have to bring this to a stop because. We can't have any other asshole out there just just yeah. randomly, willy-nilly saying, yeah, that guy sucks. Yeah, but, I don't like him. Yeah, I'm going to shoot him. Yeah, but at the same time, the film makes a point at, like, the end, like, when it's, like, and it's, like, you know, when they're talking about, like, Paul Kersey's, like, last killing, they're, like, and, uh, it's inspired other people to actually, you know, take up arms against, you know, other muggings, and, like, you see an old black lady, it's like, oh, yeah, I got my broom and beat the shit out of that motherfucker, and then, like, Oh, it's one, yeah, we were at a job site, and this guy, you know, at a fucking construction site, and this guy's getting mugged, and the whole construction team (laughs) chases him down like it's the Beatles' hard day's night, beats the living hell out of him, breaks both his arms, his chin, and some ribs, and they're like, 
yeah, we didn't find any evidence, you know, like, what, ha- what happened? And they all just said, like, oh, he must have tripped and fell. That's how he broke all his bones. You know, what are you going to do yeah. about him? You know, yeah, that. I mean, I think that... So they're, they're essentially saying, what they're saying is, yeah, you know, stick up for yourself, you know. Yeah. Do that. I, and it's- I mean, I think Death Wish does want it both ways. It doesn't work all the time. But, I mean, I think that it does want to say that, hey, you know, vigilantism... It doesn't always work because you're going to have those people who don't make good decisions in their, you know, in their everyday life when they're see, you know, I think they use the word grease, greasy, um, but <laughs> they do, they use the word greasy. Uh, but at the, I mean, the sentiment is that you're going to have people who make bad decisions about who is not a good person, about who's a criminal. And you can't have that in a, especially in an overpopulated city like New York City. At the same time, though, they do want to say that, hey, you should actually stick up for yourself uh, in some way within, you know, when you're being mugged. Yeah, or but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean every, like, like, it doesn't mean everybody needs to have a fucking gun. No, it doesn't. Which is why I do appreciate that in those scenarios, at least, yeah, the construction crew does beat the shit out of that dude, but at least it's not with a gun. And uh, the black lady, at least she fends off uh, muggers with her hairpin. That's a little bit different than saying, whip out your gun and fucking point it at them. Put it at their head and and threaten that you're going to shoot them in the head if they don't stop mugging you. I think that's a little bit different than what we have now. Which, I mean, it's not that, it's not that different, but it is a little bit different where we, we have now like, oh yeah, everybody should carry a gun because they'd be a lot safer that way. Like, then, now you really don't know who the fucking bad guy is. Yeah, there's people I know who have pistol permits. So I'm like, I wish you did not. Yeah, exactly. But, I, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's unfortunate that we haven't really progressed that much further from Death Wish. Well, like I said, the, this film, again, 40 years old, and then it's like, this is still... There's a... Like, hammering yeah. all the... Like, the, just like... It's just like something like, and it's very like offhand, like racial topics in this too. Like, yeah, you have like one guy saying like, "Oh, they're targeting black people," and the one guy's like, "But well, they're all criminals anyway." You know, yeah, it's all them that's doing it anyway. Yeah, and I, it's like that's like that's the sentiment. Yeah, like that that's still going on. That's and, forty and, years later. That's still a very like well, they're in the seventies. More common thinking. Not that it was okay in the 70s either, but certainly a lot more common as in in thought. In 2017, shouldn't be happening. But this film, like I said, it, it you could call it Utes the movie. Because <laughs> it's a movie that is entirely about Older. and focused on fear of outsiders, fear of strangers, fear of... anything different because all of the movies uh villains are young people not specific not specifically black because not specifically no no, there's a lot of white white criminals in here but they are mostly um Young. young they are weird different like um stand they stand out from crowd like they're they're either very like almost boisterous boisterous yeah wearing uh, ridiculous like yeah, clothing clothing uh bandanas loud obnoxious obnoxious being the keyword uh um, sex- sexually um 
explicit or like open. Which is funny because again, going back to like the whole forty euro, you know, difference thing. It's the same thing, goddamn thing. So it's like the generation of the fifties judging like these, you know, baby boomers like oh they're a bunch of you know dangerous assholes. Yeah. Same thing going on like oh these special snowflake millennials getting their fucking feel. Like I literally saw like on Facebook today like somebody said something like fucking goddamn faggot libtards and someone's like no that's actually stupid so I'm like ah your butt hurts snowflake it's like no they just said something and you're not saying oh yeah yeah well and it's just remember we we talked about that they're doing a death wish remake with bruce willis and probably gonna be the curmudgeon fucking exactly we (laughs) we we thought it was like a little it's strange to do a remake at the same time though it totally makes sense seeing what this film is because you can do the exact same themes. It does. You barely need to change anything about this film in order to do a remake. Probably, almost could do a word, a script remake of shot it. Just by, same like, script, like the Vince Vaughn Psycho, shot by shot for shot. The remake. only thing you gotta change is the monetary values. You can't <laughs> yeah. have two seventeen dollars. It'd be gr- two. It'd groceries. be, be two hundred seventeen. Yeah, two hundred seventeen dollars in groceries or two billion dollar mil- <laughs> uh, investment. <laughs> instead of a two million dollar but i think you could do a pretty much a, a same script and everything for a remake and get away with it now and that's that's pretty sad <laughs> that's pretty sad for our state now um but in terms of watching this film now and looking back on it in the 70s you can absolutely put it in that time period and understand where it was coming from historically yeah because like it, you said it's a nixon era I mean, Nixon's not like been out or on the way out, but it's it's no, you're right because again, like Dirty Harry, the whole like this like oh things aren't getting done. I'm going you know take matters into my own hands, and it's still prevalent today with how people think. Yep, you like see people getting tried for like crimes and people like, hang them, kill Bart. You know, it's like he hasn't gone through the trial yet. It's, the whole point of the judicial system in our country for most people who claim to be patriots is this idea that it's supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to get a quick trial, like so you get to it quickly, but it's supposed to be slow moving, so everything gets observed to make sure that if you are guilty, you are then prosecuted. If not, then, you know, but then, you know, so many people jump on the, you know, guilty automatically. Um... I I, 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 like I said, I, I haven't watched it. It's been a year since I've watched this film last. Um, and I, I said, I think it just, it just rings true even more so. Like, like now that I'm getting like older, like older and older, I get it's like it just rings true. Like, like just with what I see people say on social media and all that. Like, it's, it's a common sentiment. If, if our town was plagued with mugging, it's never gonna happen. But if it was, most people here would be like, well, I got a gun, I'll shoot the fucker. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that's what it would be like. And the cops would be like, eh, no, don't do that. I mean, <laughs> you, could, you could almost, um, you could almost like do a reverse reading on this film. Because really, the the themes that are resonant in this film are, are really on the surface. That, yeah, you probably shouldn't go out and kill people that you think are bad. 
But at the same time, you definitely need to fight back against them. Yeah, but at the same time, they, they don't show Paul Kersey's and Charles Bronson is not remorseful about what he's done. No, no, he's not. He no. enjoys it. Yeah, he definitely does. You it's can tell. Ca- it's cathartic for him. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it. Like, part of the, like the character development of his character in the film is that whole slow, as you said, slow second act where he goes off to Tucson to do his little architecture and the warm side of the door montage. Yeah. Um... With his fucking Jimmy Dean knockoff buddy. That, by the way, that guy who he talks to out there, all I can think of is fucking Jimmy Dean and, uh, excuse me, in Liver Let Die. Jimmy Dean, the Sausage King, was in Liver, uh, not Liver Let Die. Diamonds Are Forever is just some loudmouth southern guy that Bond has to save. Oh, really? And that's what he reminds me of, this guy in this film. But, uh, but the whole point in that second act is so you can. You get transition Paul from like he moves away from the city he's out in the wilderness of Tucson and working on the project and just by meeting this guy who loves his guns and talks about how he loves his you know he owns his guns and loves his guns and because he has a gun nobody gets mugged in Tucson because he'd fucking shoot them and then he takes him to a gun club and you get to learn more that he's a you know Paul's a, a Korean war veteran and he was a what the character thinks is a commanding officer in a medical unit, but he's a conscientious objector. He didn't want to fight. But, he, you know, that's why he was put into a medical platoon. But even though he didn't want to fight, because his mom was a pacifist, his dad was a hunter, so he learned to shoot from his dad. So he's got, you know, fucking great aim. So it's trying it's trying to show to you that he's somebody who does, you know, he is, a, you know, partially a pacifist by root, but he does have, like, an underlying don't-fuck-with-me nature. And the fact that he's been fucked with, now he's willing to... Yeah, drop the pacifist and... But at the same time, it's like, oh, see, that's what, you know, somebody who wouldn't ever do such a thing. It's trying to show you, like, though he does have, you know, both sides of the coin, it's trying to show you, but he is, you know, he does have that, you know, nature of being a pacifist. He went to war, but he was a, you know, he didn't fight because he was in the medical units because he's a conscientious objector. So for him to... Take that step into vigilanteism, like what he really had to have been pushed to the edge to. Yeah, but I think, like it, like you said, he is very gleeful about doing his work, and at the end of the film, he is he doesn't have any repercussions for doing it besides having to leave the the city. Yeah, that's it. Because they, they they don't want they don't want to arrest him because he would become a martyr. If they arrest him for killing those people, and more than more people will take up being a vigilante. Yeah. That's why they don't want to, uh, you know, arrest him. They just want to scare him off. I mean, I think that the, like I said, you could almost do a reverse reading of this film in that it's presenting, a, uh, like, a sarcastic view of vigilantism in that it doesn't work out. Except it does work out. So you you can get all the way to the end, but then at the end it does work out. You know, and he can go to Chicago now and do the same fucking thing and kill a bunch more, uh, you know, white young and black young kids and, uh, you know, get away with it again. And I think that... And the city will be grateful for it. Exactly, exactly. And as much as I disagree with that viewpoint, coming out of the 70s, coming out of an exploitation style of filmmaking... It totally makes it makes sense for the time, and I am open to accepting that this was Death Wish in 1974. That this was a this was a 
This is a film that's in a bubble, really. Well, no, I don't expect him at the end of the film to get caught. No, no. And if he does get caught, they're not gonna... Because, again, the whole message of the film is basically, you know, you need to fight. You know, fight against, you know, and take up arms. So, for them to be like, at the end, he's caught! He's going to jail! And, it, you know, it kind of, you know, it'd be a moot point. It'd be Yeah. I think that that's probably why I associate more with black exploitation, though, as a, a liberal, probably super liberal person in 2017, is that I can associate more with black exploitation because of the way that they deal with sensitive themes within that style of filmmaking. Obviously, you're co- there's while they share a lot of the same ideas and and even styles like in death wish you can see a lot of black exploitation in it as well especially some of the more funkadelic uh soundtrack at, at times the there's they're coming from two opposing views and and i think that now we kind of as liberals associate more with the black exploitation movement than the more white person exploitation movement of things like death wish I just gotta think about it too. I mean, it's just this film again. Like I said, he's a fucking white collar architect. Yeah, he's he's an architect that works for a big architect firm. You'll never see that in a black exploitation film. They're always no. I mean, this would be the person that they yeah. would. It would be the villain. It would be like the person who's going to demolish their the neighborhood. The, yeah, their yeah, neighborhood to, in order to put up a huge mall or something. Yeah, and then they and then he killed. Uh, one of her, one of uh, Coffee's sisters, so that he could do it. Uh, I mean, they're all exaggerated. They're all, but at the same time, like in the, especially in the seventies, there's no, there's no subtlety for the most part. No, it's very, no. and that's very cut. And it's Death very Wish cut doesn't and have it. any subtlety. I'm glad you brought that up because it doesn't really have any subtlety. You can certainly, all of its themes are pretty surface level. Well, yeah, like I said, like, uh, and as you said, too, is about the, like, everyone, like, all the muggings in this film. They're so stereotypical. It's great, and it's cheesy, and it's hilarious, but I, like, and I still love it, though. Just, like, yeah. every time he gets, somebody in this film gets jacked, they pull out a fucking switchblade, and, like, jive, motherfucking turkey, give, you know, yeah. give me, give me your money. I said you know, at I least... Know you- Give, give, give me your money, and it's not like it's not like they're trying to be subtly like sneak up behind him, like and put like you know point point the like you know the knife in their back, like hey, I got a knife on you. Give me all your money, or I'm gonna fucking stab you. Something like that. No, they're like ten feet away, and they fucking cut up, bring out their switchblade, like you motherfucker, give me all your money. Yeah, I so said that at least they're polite enough to like pull out <laughs> a shiv or something instead of a gun. Now, now it's just I got a fucking gun. Uh, uh do you give it to me? Or I'm gonna shoot you, and. At that point, what are you going to do? When someone has a shiv at you, you can just run away. <laughs> you can run away. and just... you, can, you can try. Yeah, try to outrun them. Like, yeah. I, I hope I'm faster than this kid. You know? Especially this, in... This, this malnutrition kid whose only diet is nothing more than yeah. smack and... Yeah, especially... And lucky charms. In some of the scenarios where you're really not even that far from either civilization or, like, people. Or maybe sometimes it's even in in like the daylight where you can just run away and say like oh they've got a knife <laughs> well, well it's new york city most people are like, oh yeah you got yeah, a knife right, life's got a knife to me too asshole yeah. you know fuck you huh? yeah and, and like i said i i think that death wish is a pretty fun movie despite some of the slower scenes um and i can accept it as a film of its time um 
even though I may not agree with its ideals at, at this time. Um, and I find it sad that 40 years later we're in the same, same boat. But So I, I thought it was fun. I thought I think it's a fun movie. Like I said, I don't think it's... It's it's not my favorite exploitation film. I would say that I probably like Dirty Harry more than this. Hmm. But um, at the same time, I think it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, I'll be interested to see how Death Wish 2 and the rest of them play out. Oh, I can't wait. Because <laughs> I do feel like this is a limited scope idea. So you can't... I mean, I can assume... What I would assume would happen is that you just go to a new city and do the same thing. But, and that's kind of what they make it seem like at the end of Death Wish, where he goes to Chicago and gives his little gun finger sign. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think they, pla- they didn't plan on yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think they did either. It doesn't really seem like they planned a Because it took almost ten, or even, ten, or I think ten, almost ten years, if not yeah. ten years, for them to come up with a sequel. So it's, it's more that, you know, they just... Strike while the iron's hot, you know. Um, we haven't talked about the cast overall. No, we haven't. Um, we've alluded to it a little bit. Charles Bronson, what'd you think of him? I think he's good. I think that, um, like I said, when we were watching the film, I think he's an unlikely protagonist for this style of film. And maybe that's coming from a more present day view of, like, action heroes in that... Now, yeah, but this is they an better. A- this is an action film. Well, yeah, it's a crime action film. It's not an action film. Yeah, no but ex- I mean, there's no explosion. But it's I mean, just... the, now your protagonist better be hunky in a situation like this where he's the hero, and he better you know he better be good looking. And Charles Bronson, I don't really feel even in this time period that he was very good looking. I feel he's like not. I feel like the first time you saw Once Upon a Time in the West with me, you said the same exact thing. Like, like man, Charles Bronson's one ugly motherfucker. Yeah, I feel. I feel like you're like like how it, like like going from Clint Eastwood to him. Like how like how. Yeah, exactly. I just and that, this has nothing to say about his acting ability or anything like that. But I just feel like he's an unlikely protagonist for this film, except for the fact that this film does center around older white. Americans, and so he fits that bill perfectly as an older white American, like you said, architect, sort of highfalutin person in New York City who is sick of like the under uh, world the of now. of New York City. So, I mean, I think that works, but I, it always just surprises me that Charles Bronson is kind of. I don't know how how he got those roles to begin with. Besides, you would think of him as more of a villain. His look, his appearance, that mustache, is, scream, yeah. that mustache screams, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a villain. I'm gonna be like, yeah, when you think twiddling of, it, yeah, when you think about it. I mean, if Henry Fonda was as old, you think in Once Upon a Time in the West, if Henry Fonda was a little bit younger, it'd be Henry Fonda, yeah. the hero, and Charles yeah. Bronson with that mustache being the villain. But yeah, um, but I think I, th- I think I think he fits the role perfectly. Just be- just. I, I just the way he looks and the way he acts. He's he's always been a wooden actor, but I think in the roles that he's given, it works to his benefit. Um, but I th- I I don't think the way like the roles he's always been given. I think he 
I think the way he looks does it like yeah, I wouldn't expect and I wouldn't want somebody in a film called fucking Death Wish about a middle-aged man who's cuz again his wife his daughter's married. She's yeah. like over, you know, 21. Yeah. So he's going to be an older guy. So I have you know, I don't have any problems with it being like an older an older person. That's probably why they have fucking Bruce Willis in the new one coming out being Paul Kersey cuz he's a fuck he's 60 years old. Miserable old man. Yeah. So, I'm not saying Charles Bronson was, but I think he fit. I mean, I think he fits the role perfectly. He's just he's a normal looking guy, but who's got muscles. Yeah. That's what you know, what stands him out. Uh, if you had to judge him by like, today's kind of like looks department, because yeah. and I think he's fine. I think he's I think he's really good in the movie. I th- I think. The only problem is, is just like like you said. There's like just some parts where he just doesn't show any emotion. Yeah, he's pretty. He doesn't have a very wide range of emotion. No. Like, um, it's it's kind of strange how easy he takes his wife's death for the most part. He's a little bit distraught when obviously the doctor drops the bombshell in a very well, at the fu- yeah, but at the funeral and then the, after yeah. that, after that, to go to visit the cop. Yeah, he's it's, he's it's, very nonchalant. Well, I was just at my wife's funeral in Connecticut. I was wondering if you had any information. You'd still think he'd be grieving now. Yeah, like, because that's the same day. Yeah. You would think that coming back from his wife's funeral, he'd just be like emotionally done for with the day. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to stay home, not go to the police. You know, he's motivated, sure, but I don't buy... But he doesn't come, ac- he doesn't yeah. come across really as motivated. No. He comes across more like... Okay, I was told I was supposed to contact you on the 12th. Today's the 12th, so what's the information, yeah. you know? Yeah, he's... And then when the cops give him, like, the run, run, you know, the run around the rigmarole, he's like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's not... Yeah, there's... I do think that's one of the biggest things, that he just doesn't have that mo- emotional range or anything like that. Kind of takes everything in stride, and it's not... doesn't really mm. always fit with the character. Um, I think... Uh, Vincent Gardenia is Frank Ochoa, the, the main detective who's on the case that's working the vigilante, the yeah. vigilante case. I think he's, he, I think he's really good. I like the little ticks that they included in there, the sneezing, like sneezing yeah. and coughing, like allergy related illness. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, made me think of Bebop, the one detective in uh, the Bebop movie that had like fucking hay fever throughout the entire yeah. thing. Yeah, it's, it's just. <laughs> It's just something that makes him stand out as a regular normal detective. Because obviously, you these films have a the detective that's a dime a dozen, same guy, same type of guy doing the same yeah. exact type of thing. But at least here in Death Wish, there's something that makes him distinguished, and I like that. I think he does a pretty good job. Um, like I said, I, no, I agree. Because at the same time, you know, it's. <sighs> It's a very stereotypical role. Like you're gonna be the lead detective on the case. You're gonna probably be like an older, older white guy just sweating around, and we need to you know figure out what's going on. And I think he he keeps it interesting enough to, you know, to be enjoyable. He's not he's not boring at all. I think, like you said, he does have quite a few like physical tics that you know make him stand out from uh, others. Yeah. I think the rest of the cast is there. Is yeah, is is just there. There's really nothing that stands out. Except, except. Well, yeah, we will get to that. We'll do that in a second. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> but I wanted to say, like, Jack Toby, who plays um, Paul Kersey's son-in-law. Or, uh, J- well, I shouldn't say plays. Jack Toby is the son-in-law. Stephen Keats plays him. Um, I think that he gets rather annoying at times. He's a very stereotypical... Just like, oh, come on, what's, you know, yeah. like, oh, gee, shucks, in a role that shouldn't be, oh, gee, shucks, and what annoys me the most about him, because he's Paul's son-in-law, the entire film, he's like, oh, come on, da- dad, mom, and it's like, you're, no, you're his son-in-law, you don't fucking call him dad, yeah. I, I don't like that at all. Yeah, it is a weird addition, because they, it's not just a couple times, like, he doesn't just the entire him. Yeah, film. it's like every single scene is like, hey, dad, dad. Dad. If I ever got married, and like, if the per, you know, if my father-in-law was like, "You can call me dad," I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, you're not my dad. Yeah, I have a dad. Yeah, it's, I, and, and, it's a know, weird, it's you, a weird choice. Yeah, for that. you'd be getting called by your your Christian given name. Right? Weird script decision. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. Well, that sounds like something in porn. Yeah. Like, 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 oh, I'm fucking, you know, my my father-in-law. So, you know, to make it. Incesty, but not Quinn. I'm gonna call him Daddy, you know. Yeah. So you're like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's it's, 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 it's fu- fucking awful. I I and that, that annoys me. But I mean, he's not again at the same time. He's not terrible, but he, d- he does nothing. Yeah. He's he's literally just there. As, There's nothing there for him. Um. It's the same thing with Kathleen Tolan, who plays Carol, who is uh, Paul's daughter, who is raped and eventually is carted off to the sanitarium. She really is the Barbara of this film, as we talked about before with Night of the Living Dead, wherein that she gets very mu- very, very little to do. She really just has to react in that first scene with the rape. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, she's in a like catatonic state where she barely even hired, needs to be there. Do you think they just hired somebody like, hey, you agree to show your tits in this? Yeah, pretty much. Show your tits and ass, and we'll spray paint your ass, and yeah. then that's it. That's all you need to yeah. do, and we'll pay you pretty well for it. That's what I'm assuming they did. And then, like, for the a few other scenes, you just gotta yeah. you know, show up and be like, uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's probably what happened. I mean, and that's not a knock against her, because... There's just... Yeah, there's nothing for her to do. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. They just... I'm sure the direction was stand there and look distant. Now, do you think with that rape scene, too, they kind of, like, they watched the clockwork orange? Yeah, and, definitely. And, and, and Absolutely. They t- and, and they took notes. Absolutely. It's, it, it's not as effective as a clockwork orange in that the, a clockwork orange is very sadistic. And very brutal. And very brutal. It's not It's not as effective as that, but I don't think they were actually shooting for that level of detail either. I think they definitely watched it because, like you said, it does... It's a lot, Some of these scenes are very reminiscent. That may be because of 70s decor, but at the same time, it does look oh, very similar. Well, just the way they kind of like handle it, it's very yeah, all around. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a knock on the film, but it, but it is. And at the same time, I can't imagine like shooting a rape scene, like kind of like walking through, like okay, this is what's gonna happen. Yeah, but it, this is tame in comparison to some of the other seventies like, exploitations. So, man, you think about probably a clockwork. Clockwork Orange is pretty tame compared to. I mean, I haven't really seen like some of the ones that you probably seen, but I, I'm you know, Clockwork Orange is usually like people like put up there like, oh, that's so brutal and you know. Yeah, and and not well, I I mean, I think that one is. No, no, I, I agree, the but realism I'm, of the scene. But I'm but brutal. what I'm saying is that it's you know compared to like actual real exploitation films, it's you know it'd come across as you know yeah big nothing like, yeah. you know. 
Um, now you can do your the main attraction. The main attraction in this film, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed, and drumroll, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's here. That's right. Jeff Goldblum in his first ever major motion picture, as far as I know. As far as I know, I'm, I, I'm, I would assume so because he does not like he gets like a huge billing on this. He gets billed though. Well, he does get billed, but that's it's great. Not... I think yeah, I think it is his first film. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Goldblum's first role in a major motion picture, he plays freak number one. Yeah, <laughs> at least he gets freak number one. Says. And yeah, and that's uh, one of the the gang rapers in the beginning. Which you would say is probably the most important uh, yeah. the, the criminals in this in the film. He gets to live. Right. He does, yeah. He gets to live. He gets to get away with it. He gets to say the great witty lines of, because uh, his one friend likes to spray paint random shit for no reason. They're like, oh, you're an artiste. You're an artiste. And they may, and it's, it is, the film doesn't specifically say it, but it's a key point that they're saying artiste and artist because they're, they're implying because they're poor people. Yeah. That, you know, and these people are, you know, bourgeois. That, like, oh, you know, the artiste, artiste, you know. Yeah. So that's the whole point of them saying that. So when they're like, he's like spray painting and he's beating and uh, raping uh, Charles Bronson's daughter because they don't have any money to give them because they think that they live in a great rich apartment, they should have money to give them. When they don't, he said, you know, he breaks out the great witty line of after they spray paint his uh, daughter's ass with a spray paint can, and then he's gonna paint her with his paintbrush. Yeah, you know, drop down Miami CSI Miami glasses and yeah, it certainly is uh, definitely a pointed reference to uh, how the upper class live. Yeah, that they have paintings and things like that on their wall. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it is important. So yeah, he's he's the regular Jeff Goldblum experience in here. He's very uh, expressive in his movements. Oh, very. He doesn't really get a, a it was great ton of lines. And I say it was it was great too because I knew he was in here, and it was great just knowing like when you first saw like that's Jeff Goldblum, isn't yeah. it? Like that looks like Jeff Goldblum, like. Fucking Anna Rat. I'm like, yeah, yeah it yeah. does. Because uh, the biggest thing is that his hair and his very gaunt, uh, you know, face. he looks like in this film what you'd expect some like 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 a stereotypical maid coming to like clean your house. Yeah, because he's so like just gone. The way he has his hair up and the bandana and everything, it's great. Yeah, he ah. It's like who who knew this butterfly would go to be such you know the charismatic man and actor that he is. And notable here is that the director of Death Wish one through three, Michael Winner, also did The Sentinel, which is a horror horror film. And Jeff Goldblum does show up very quickly in there as an extra as well. So Michael Winner noticed something in Jeff Goldblum. He knew he's gonna do great things. That's right. right. It's just great that like that's like not not only that Christopher Guest is in this film yeah I don't know if it's his first act check mm, it I don't know if it is yeah I don't I don't know for certain if that's his uh, first role it could, very well could be his first role and he's got a very bit part he's just the patrolman that finds the gun Paul Kersey's gone no 
It's close, though. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very close. Yep. Looks, the, looks like he did start out with police roles, though. Uh, so. Yep. But he's literally just plays the patrolman that finds Paul Kersey's gun when Kersey's getting wheeled to the ambulance and shows it to the, uh, it's the Gardenia's character to, sh- you know, show that he found it. And that and that's it. And that's all he has. Yeah. And, you wouldn't even notice that he, he looks. He looks and sounds like no, nothing like it. You know what he reminds me? He reminds me of just like the random guy in uh, Dawn of the Dead, the original Romero one. When like the I think it's Ken Forey or someone else is like questioning like the young guy, like SWAT team members, like what's your name? He's like, oh, my name's like Jackson, sir. And he's like, you ever done shit like this? And he's like, no, I haven't, sir. Yeah, that's what he's literally like in this film. It's yeah, just, basically, you know, just like, yeah. oh, I'm Patrolman Riley, sir. Right? Yeah, I found the gun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So, man, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Because Christopher Guest is great. Have you seen his movies? Mm-hmm. They're fucking great. Yeah. Amazing. Anything else you want to add? We got any uh, extra thoughts soundtrack-wise? Or... No, I already mentioned that. Like, there's some Funkadelic exploitation tracks in here, but really? there's also more of a... Jazzy. And yeah, jazzy, slightly... like, uh, free, yeah, like a free jazz sort of thing going on, too. So, interesting. Um, it fits. Yeah, it definitely fits. Especially it says, it like says the, Herbie Hancock did the music. I don't know if that means. I don't know. It's, it said on yeah. the credits if it's Herbie Hancock. That's hard to that's hard to determine because I don't really feel like. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if that means like you know. Yeah, I mean the the soundtrack is fairly. Free jazz, mm. where uh, like in the more upbeat sections and the, the tense and suspenseful ones, you're getting a lot of like drum hi hat stuff going on. Um, it works really well for this film. I think it's nice and like uh, unexpected and kind of gritty. Um, yeah, I think it works just fine. I don't know if it's really it's not really a standout aspect of the film itself, but and there's certainly no. Uh, like title song like most black exploitation have no like hammer or you know like coffee nothing like that where you actually have a title song death wish no i do love the fact that death wish's title card just kind of comes out yeah that is you got you got you you, yeah i know it's fantastic i absolutely love it just the fact that they're on they're like they're love Paul and his wife are on this lovely Hawaiian vacation, taking pictures, having mojitos, all the shit. And all of a sudden, it's a sunset, and you just see, Death Wish! And then, you know, it goes back to, like, you know. Yeah. It's great. It's absolutely great. It's totally something else. You wouldn't... I wish films had had the balls to do that today. Just, just... Bam. Yeah, just boom. Some of them now don't even have title cards. Oh, Just, like, skip right through. Well, they're too good for that. Yeah, they're too good for title cards. They don't need them anymore. You know what you're watching. It's probably the event, the new Captain America. They didn't have. Title. It was. Uh, it was with um, Doctor Strange. I don't think had title card. Yeah, I think the Captain America. Probably not. I think they either. skipped right through there. Probably because at this point, like this is all fu- fucking part of it. You know. Yeah. They might, but like I said, at the same time with those films, they might as well have like a previously on Dragon Ball. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, real quick because we're running long here. Um, with. I'm not gonna give the rating. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna do it, but I, I also wanted to discuss the trailer real quick because we did watch the theatrical yeah, is... trailer on the DVD, and 
You could fucking watch the trailer and know the entire film. They, sp- they ruin the entire film. Yeah, the entire you see every single like shooting scene with the criminals, and you see the you basically see the death and rape of um, Paul Kersey's wife and daughter, and then you see the finale. You see everything. You don't need to even watch the film. Well, that's what I love about it because it's your stereotypical seventies trailer. It's like yeah. Paul Kersey's a man, a man. On a mission, like show his wife getting beat up. His wife was beaten up. His daughter was raped. Now he's on ben- you know, vengeance. And then he's showing like killing like Paul Kersey and Charles Bronson in Death Wish. It's great. I lo- I absolutely love trailers like that. You know what you're getting. Yeah. I mean, Grand, yeah, no, you're right. It does like spoil the entire it's like oh, I don't even need to see the film. Yeah. But you see the entire film. But it's compared like compared to like modern day trailers where they don't even show you shit that's even actually in the film. But no, like I, I do miss like that '70s style. I'm just like, oh yeah, we're gonna show everybody like you know, because the, the thinking is like we're gonna show them the general plot, you know, what's they're expecting to get into. But at the same time, they're revealing the entire film. Yeah. And but I love it. I absolutely love it because it's just so, so different. Yeah. Just compared to today, it's so different. So out of ten. 32 caliber slugs. I totally was going to do... I was going to go with that. Were you really? If I was leading, that's what I would go with. So out of 10 32 <laughs> caliber slugs, what would you give Death Wish? Uh, I'd probably give it a... Can I give it a half? Can I give it seven and a half? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll give it seven and a half. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. A little disappointed. It may be because I've seen other exploitation films that I prefer over this one. I don't know. I give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Not quite a nine. I love this film. Mm-hmm. I because I, I, ha- I have a soft spot for Charles Bronson. I do, despite as wooden as of an actor as he is, I do enjoy him. I mean, for God's sakes, he's in the greatest western of all time. If you ask me, Once Upon a Time in the West, then that's a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um. I think this is a great film, too. I don't necessarily agree with all of its messaging, but I do understand where it's coming from, what it's trying to do. I think it does that successfully, and I love the fact that how you can kind of connect it even to still to today. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it impactful. If you're looking for a film in this, that's going to be like very... This isn't a bloody film. No. It's, it's not a gory film. It doesn't even have that high of a kill count. Nope. It's, it's, you know, it's it's tame compared to what you'd expect from a vigilante exploitation film from yeah, the definitely. 70s. Yeah. But I still think it's a very enjoyable one because they're always on track with what they're trying to do. Whether you're, If you agree with it or not, they're always on track. There's a set course in motion. And I think... Because it like it just follows through on all of its points. I do agree with you that the second act does get a little long in the tooth, just because it's just it's all character. It's all nothing but character development. That do you necessarily need? No, but if you didn't have it, you'd have a f- fucking forty-five minute telenovela. Uh, I think I think it's very good. It's one of my favorite films of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Not gonna say it's in my top ten or top twenty. But it's definitely one of my favorite films to study. I think it captures perfectly just kind of like the tone and the, of those films of the period. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's my thoughts. I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add to that. No, I think that's it. I think we covered it. So next week is Death Wish 2. Yeah. And if you haven't seen Death Wish, please check it out. Yeah. it's uh, You won't be disappointed. I can't say that about the rest of the films. <laughs> well, we'll be checking out Death Wish 2 next time. So we will see what it's like. I'll see what it's like. Never seen it before. Hmm. And for a real treat. That's right. Um, are you doing administrative stuff? No, that's you. You want me to do it? All right, yeah, I'll, I'll take over. Um, you, <laughs> that's all you. Yeah, that's right. You can catch us on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a nice review. Uh, we definitely appreciate that, and it helps us get noticed. Uh, you can also catch us on SoundCloud. That's where our episodes go up first. That's where our feed originates from. Uh, so we're on SoundCloud there, and you can follow us, like our tracks, uh, things like that. Uh, we have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Uh, like us, we converse with us. Uh, we always appreciate anybody talking about our podcast episodes. We have a Twitter. It's at blood and black rum pod, a uh, black. Uh, I always do this. I do this every single episode at blood and black rum. Um, we don't use it super often but i definitely do tag each one of our episodes so uh please follow us on there and give us some retweets we surely appreciate that uh we have our own website it's blood and black rum podcast.wordpress.com i post all of our new episodes up there also we have an email account blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com we appreciate any kind words that you send our way and anything that you want to see covered on the podcast just let us know and we will try to work that into our schedule uh, lastly, we have a Patreon account. Um, that is where you can donate to us, uh, each month and you can help us fund the podcast and do some really fun stuff. Uh, obviously you can give as little as you want to, or as much as you want to. If you pledge a dollar, we'll give you a shout out. If you pledge $5, we will actually do a group of episodes of your choice. You just name the films that you want us to do either uh, f- different films or in a series and we'll do them for you and then if you pledge ten dollars a month we'll actually do a script reading of a film of your choice so that'd be a lot of fun we haven't done anything like that ever on the podcast so it'd be our first time doing that uh, and we would definitely do some fun things with that um i think that's it for our administrative stuff so thank you for listening to the blood and black rum podcast this has been episode 52 death wish the start of our death wish series we'll be back next week with death wish 2 and uh for me and for martin thanks for listening and we'll see you next time take care